0: boom for all seasons season two i'm dan i'm ben
1: and we're back we are actually back we've been away a long time we are uh kicking off the season in uh in good form i think we've got our first repeat guest kevin gotsova journalist talking with uh, some updates or updates from this week on the Julian Assange case happening over here in England. There's some very interesting uh, new developments in that. Uh, And then also talking to Kevin about Daniel Hale, Mm -hmm. whistleblower who revealed the drone program under the Obama years and was uh, sort of fell off the out of the public consciousness and then was uh, put back under scrutiny in the Trump years and then now has been sentenced to prison uh, under the Biden administration. Mm -hmm. So we get into all that. And then we also get to uh, talk, Kevin was kind enough to talk to us a little bit about Cuomo too and get his uh, opinions on that as well. Um, But it's a good conversation, Uh, Kevin, always really offers uh, really sharp and nuanced um, and even handed, I think, insight on uh, very difficult subject matter. So I was happy to have him.
0: Yeah, no, it was, it's a great conversation. Again, I, I think we mentioned this in the pre-show, but what I love about Kevin is that he's such a knowledgeable guy, but also comes at it with a moral lens at the end of the day. You know, he's not trying to like put his mm-hmm. opinion down your throat i mean it's it's obvious in the subject that he writes about what he cares about um yeah when we talk to him he, he gets kind of kind of worked up in a really uh, enjoyable way
1: yeah kevin has a moral clarity that i think we lack uh and i appreciate it <laughs> yeah
0: absolutely you have a, a format um, for the show today for season two episode one just to make sure that we can kind of cover everything that happened while we were away because we missed so much so so much
1: yeah we uh and uh, and we we're barely paying attention as it was happening i would try and scribble down notes sometimes but um but it's summer and i've been drinking so you know
0: yeah so again the disclaimer is uh, we, are spre- we are spreading misinformation so do not get your politics from us <laughs> well, can you really explain, like, kind of our, our thinking for the show?
2: yeah,
1: yeah. Um, obviously, we've been away for several weeks. Uh, we thought it could be good to just do sort of a rapid fire recap of uh, some of the big stories we missed, and you know, acknowledge that uh, we don't want to take too much time on them. They are old news for the most part. But we thought we just uh, we thought we'd just go through a uh, you know a quick fire round of what we missed, what we thought about it, what we think about it now. Um, Our producer, Joe, is going to run the stop clock. He's going to be quite militant with the time and it's going to be how much, Joe? Two minutes, right? So yeah, we're going to get two minutes. Joe's going to call out the subject and then he's going to tell us to stop after each one and uh, then we'll move on to the next and just just see what happens.
0: Uh, Ben, can you tell listeners where they can get a VFAS stopwatch if they would like one?
1: You can order from the Borders website. Uh, they're, they're available on Borders or go to your local Borders. Uh, you can also find them on the dark web. And also, if you uh, don't have access to the dark web, uh, infowars.com. Uh, info, shop Infowars. I think it's right after the ammonium nitrate cleansing uh, dick pills. So you can get it there. There um, is outlets. All right, so let's get the clock up. And whenever you're ready, Joe, we're ready. Okay, so the first one is Cuomo.
0: I was telling Ben this in the pre-show, but schadenfreude is certainly an overused term, but I have been celebrating a little bit with this. Ben, what do you think?
1: It feels good. I didn't think he was going to resign, to be honest. Uh, I really thought he was going to full trumpet weather the storm. Um, I, I definitely thought he would get impeached, um, just because there's so much so much bad blood uh, and so many people calling on it. Um, <clears throat> I don't know, it like, it's nice to watch. It's nice to see him go down after just the, like the absolute Leviathan he has been over the last year and everything else. But it feels a little hollow to me in that, you know, he's going to probably like, he's going to escape the nursing death uh, things. I, I remember we, we talked to Ross Barkan about this, of like that, you know, he never would have been under the scrutiny at all or like none of, this never would have happened had it not been a sexual, uh, uh, you know, uh, sexual harassment allegations when it's like he has the blood of thousands of people on his hands. And that sucks. I mean, not to, you know, not to discount the sexual allegations, which are fucking terrible and weird, like all of his stuff is very, and then like, I don't know, you saw, did you see any of his concession speech too, which was like or his resignation speech he did not concede anything where he's like he's like I thought I knew where the line was but it seems the line has been redrawn and it's like yeah you know, sort of like blamed like millennials or something or like woke culture or, you know I don't
0: know well yeah no I, I I missed out on that but I know that um Kevin mentions this and I don't want to give away too much from the interview but he does Cuomo actually call it cancel culture in the in the in the Very
1: close to, I think. Enough, yeah, but, yeah. You know. Okay. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's it. Yep. Okay. All right.
1: We have Cuba.
0: Ben, why don't you start with this one up?
1: Yeah. Anytime, um, you know, in the like I hope we can get someone on to also talk about this and to talk about Haiti, but like anytime uh this stuff like protests in Cuba or Venezuela or you know, pick your pick your country. Um, are getting headlined in the news, my bullshit detector like immediately turns on. I'm just like, you know, it's just like, like president of Haiti getting killed, assassinated. It's like, how is that not the CIA? I just, I I don't believe that it's not. Um, And the key, and, you know, uh, this is going back to another guest we had, uh, talking to Joel about this, about uh, coup attempts in Venezuela. It was just like, you know, it seems to this, it's just like, uh, it's just US policy to antagonize as much as possible. Um, so you really need to take these, you really need to take these protests with a grain of salt every time you hear about them one way or the other, whether it's pro-government, anti-government. I think that's something that gets lost in the youth or always is like, first of all, it was not like the entire Cuban people rising up. And some of the people at those protests were pro-Cuban government. Um, So there's that. And then, like, I don't know if you saw, they had, like, they had posts of, like, people were posting on Twitter, like, look at the, you know, the uh, uprising or the protests in Havana with, like, tens of thousands of people. And it was fucking Buenos Aires after they won the Copa America. Uh,
0: That, That brings up something I want to talk about with this. And that's, like, so many people, I feel like, fell for this, like this idea that like, you know, Cuba is so oppressed and that like, actually it's such a nuanced approach and they don't mention the embargo at all.
1: So yeah, lift the sanctions. It, they followed the uh, Biden line, it's- Yeah, yeah, and then Biden imposed more sanctions. I mean like, yeah. I've, I have no love for the Obama years, but one of the best things he did with this time was actually lit, like start to normalize relations. And it's like for Biden, it's like the easiest layup possible. Just like, let it go. Like, let, let it, it go. It down. Ah, damn it. okay. That's all right. <sighs> Next up. I like is, I like the pressure. Yeah. It's Exquisite fun. pressure we call this. I yeah. like it. Simone Biles and the Tokyo Olympics. Okay. Uh, so, who so gives good. a shit about I, the Olympics, first I, of all. Yeah, who, the Olympics do not matter. They're so
0: <laughs> I'm gonna keep talking because I really wouldn't want to talk about this one. And I think <laughs> it's just um all respect to Simone Biles. She's clearly like an amazing athlete. Um I just I hated the story because it clearly became this win for um, left and right media. You know, you get people to like, com- completely say it's like, oh, Simone Biles like doesn't represent America, mental health, like she's a wimp or something like that. Where in like the left media gets to just complain about people complaining about Simone Biles. Yeah. yeah. It, so was, the def-
1: it was the definition of confirmation bias, right? Cause everybody yeah. got to have exactly the story they wanted. Like, yeah. first of all, yeah, all the people on the, like on the right who were acting like she was a villain. It was like, it's fucking gymnastics. <laughs> okay, yeah. first of all, it's gymnastics. Chill the fuck out. And also, Simone Biles is a national treasure. She's amazing. Like, I love watching uh, uh, gymnastics, and like, she is, you know, the best at what she does, the best ever to do it. Um, and also, like, it, she's, you know, doing dangerous flips and shit, and she wasn't there. It's absolutely fine to go, you know what? I can't compete at the level that I need to compete right now. I need to sit out and the thing that annoyed me from the left i guess was that they the, you know it was again like oh she's either a villain or a hero it was like i don't know if like that makes her a hero of just like it was like it sounds like you just made the right choice for what you needed yeah. but it doesn't need to be this like yay you are brave kind of thing but it, so, it, it,
0: it comes back to like the, the, again the general digital journalism standpoint of this is like you have to have so so many think pieces saying that like so Biles is national treasure like fuck the haters and then on the other side of it the right wing side of it it's like this is why Simone Biles sucks you know and you know it, it all yeah. it all matters how many shares you get from that
1: yeah and and both I mean the right the the right is definitely way dumber on this oh, cool. but but if you have a passionate take on it either way they're both pretty fucking dumb Time. Time. 80. Haiti. Oh, yeah. Well, so we already, we already touched on this a little bit. But uh, yeah, Haitian president uh, was assassinated in really kind of like fantastic uh, uh
0: Scarface way or something. Yeah,
1: it was. Re- yeah. And like, it, it was kind of, I mean, it was incredible when it happened. Because I was like, it seemed like something that would have happened in like the 60s. Yeah. Totally. You know, and it blew me away like when was the last time like a head of state got assassinated like that I mean at least in the you know in the western world um but again as to my point before like if you're like if you don't immediately jump to that the CIA was somehow involved with this you're fucking dreaming and like grow up
0: Yeah, I think I think think the media is finally catching up with that. Like, I know within two days afterwards, and we were sharing this in the group chat that you know it started to come out like there was already American contractors that they could find that were involved. Immediately, it 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 immediately
1: came out that some of them were American and the rest of them were all Colombian. Which like, and I think that's like more. We're all American trained.
0: (laughs) Right, exactly, and I think that's like such a a valuable part of the story and something it reminded me a lot of the conversation that we had with Clarum and how she's grown up her entire life with the Civil War. And like, mm-hmm. how do you bring someone back into society who's been militant?
1: Yeah, well, it's a, yeah, they're all School of Americas type fucks or whatever yeah. they you know whatever they call it now. Um, oh, fuck, uh, damn it! Help me out, Tim. Uh, let's go, yeah, anyway, yeah, no, no, here's like more like All, of it, all, now, all yeah. of it stank too. Of like, of like, this is some sort of a, like sophisticated operation, and all of the guys who uh, carried out the uh, the op we like caught at their Airbnb down the road. It was like, yeah. does nobody else think this is like completely fucking insane? Like they all just got like Oswalded. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't buy yeah. it one bit. I don't buy it one bit. Pick like, up oh, time. All right. Eviction moratorium
0: yeah I, th- I think the most interesting thing from this for me is that um the white house and i think democrats and obviously republicans basically got caught red-handed um with the influence of the real estate lobby and yeah. you know go query bush
1: yeah it was great for i was submit you know i'm i i, I appreciate what the squad that the squad finally stepped up because you know i've been critical about them in the past uh and there's still stuff to be critical of them within this you know they're talking about big bad nancy pelosi and it was like well you all voted her in like this is some of this is on your hands but i i really hope this spirit keeps going and that they start conducting themselves like the tea party did in the early 2000s and actually be like an insurgent wing of the party because like we saw it from like whatever your opinion is on the tea party and i don't like what they stood for or what they did but they got shit done and like the squad is just as many if not more uh members at this point yeah it's becoming like a
0: distinction without a difference
1: yeah. And you can do this shit. Like it fucking worked. And well, and again, we need to clear that is a big caveat there because what they extended it by like 60 days. So this yeah. is something that it takes a, a much d- a deeper dive. Like, you know, people got a, a little breath of oxygen, but they're still drowning. Um, we still need to worry about the fact that like, yeah, we could extend the eviction moratorium for another two years. And then what everybody like half of America is going to owe like a hundred thousand dollars in back pay rent, you know, like it's. Yeah, be, I was just saying, aid say on a bullet wound.
0: Yeah, it really is, and I think like the the big issue for me is that it it even even the plan right now it doesn't really fix anything. Like it sends it sends money to uh, local, st- it sends it to states and then to localities, and then they have to do out the money, and it's just so yeah. mismanaged, and it's like it's put so much pressure on, and you also now have to contend with this like arbitrary deadline. And I understand there is a cash flow issue. I, I just don't think. I, I still think at the end of the day, it's like it's kicking people out of their homes, and landlords can benefit. Okay.
1: Yeah, okay. Biden
0: bombed Somalia three times.
1: Uh, I mean, who's surprised? I don't know. Uh, it just seems like yeah, he got to have his little you know honeymoon period of. But like this, yeah, I don't. I haven't looked into it a ton, but who's surprised? Like what?
0: it does what, I, what is
1: there to say about it this is just gonna keep this is just gonna keep happening over and over and over again I've been,
0: I've been thinking about it a lot in my opinions about it and clearly to me it's just a continuation of the trump expanded war there followed that followed the obama that followed the bush and it's clearly i, I don't know if it's making things worse but so what they're doing is bombing al-shabab which is a, reportedly um connected with al-qaeda and the only the only feedback that I've seen from Democrats and, you know, uh, excuse me, the only pushback I've seen from Democrats. Um, and of course, there's been no from Republicans is that um, it was in the the AUMF repeal hearing, um, which is the authorization to use military force. Um, it's most notably used for um, Al Qaeda, but there's actually two of them. There's one in 2001, which was the one for Al Qaeda. And there's one for 2002, which allowed the um, the Bush administration to have military um, operations in Iraq and the repealing 2002 so 2001 is which gives the authorization for what Biden's doing in Somalia right now um so again that is the most criticism that you've seen in the the U.S. press about this issue and no matter what you think of what they're doing I would love to have some debate about this because I I I'll admit I'm a little ambiguous about it I don't like the idea of killing people but
1: yeah I think You know, the only thing I really heard is uh, Ilhan Omar kind of mentioned that, like, she was asking the White House for more information on what they were doing, uh, but nothing more forceful than that. I don't know. I think as we, you know, uh, we're basically going to see if there's, I don't think Afghanistan is going to wind down, actually, but I think this is going to continue to wind up in the coming years. Biden's downfall. Oh god. Uh
0: I regrettably have not done any research on this one so Ben you can just riff on it for
1: me. Sure. Oh man. Yeah, I mean it's it's exactly what you think it's going to be and I think I've said this before is we need to just get the fuck rid of town halls especially in the Biden years. I mean town halls are a absolute waste of everybody's time. They are they're totally curated and fake and especially you know Biden getting Biden getting basically, like, caught, like, carried over the finish line by Don Lemon. Um, and, like, you know, every, like, it's, it's funny. I was reading an article about it. It was, like, five takeaways from uh, f- from the Biden's town hall, which was, like, a CNN article. And it was, I didn't watch the entire thing, but I watched, uh, you know, clips of it and stuff. And it was, like, if, if one takeaway. Biden is bad at this and, like, cannot... Form sentences i mean he's so and it's like i don't even like watching this stuff anymore um especially like especially since you know we've known that he's been had a fucking pickled brain since uh since during the election um but it's so much clearer now mm-hmm. and it's like and it's really like like don lemon was like giving him ev- the benefit of every doubt and like there's so many times where he was just like alphabet souping his answers and it just was it was incomprehensible and john lemon would just be there and like nod and feed him more questions as if what he just said made sense um and we're gonna have to grapple with that at some point but you know we're definitely in his his brain is pickled he's he's like he is so fucking senile and it's so like and everyone you know i'm so sick of this like it's a stutter it's not a stutter that's not what stutters are like uh so yeah, they just need to get rid of these. Um, it was a total hack job, uh, and everybody involved should be ashamed of themselves. Oh, and then this
0: one I added I don't know if you guys saw it, but what do you think about the UN's code, red climate crisis? Oh God. Yeah, I, I saw that you added this one in, and I, um, I really get to see it from like a high level view, but uh, the, the most interesting thing to me is that they've been able to track the history of climate change a lot more and again I haven't really read the article I've just read like very uh limited headlines about it but um they were able to try to track it back to, of course to like the industrial revolution and how that has affected um climate so quite the amount of time there and then um the next headline that I was getting to was how climate science is becoming more precise but um really the big thing for me about this stuff is um I kind of tune out with climate news. I'm completely supportive of anything and everything that we can do to make it better. but um, yeah, kind of my opinion about it i I admittedly kind of find find it hard to to be interested in
1: but it's just I mean, it's just miserable, and this one was like yeah. no different, but worse of it was just like, oh yeah, like, yeah, clock is ticking, and like not in a hundred years, even like twenty. yeah, uh, it's gonna mm-hmm. be it's it's fucking terrifying. And, and it's so, it's so goddamn depressing. Like it always is, which is, I think is why a lot of people tune out from that. But one thing I do like about stuff like this and like contextualizing it within the industrial revolution, uh, in that kind of timeline, I haven't read the whole report either. Uh, but I really, it drives me insane when, when the climate issues are sort of personalized. Like I know that we should all do our part here and there, you know, like not having so much plastic or stuff like that. Or like people will be like eating less red meat, not having factory farm meat, stuff like that. That's all well and good, but like let's like me recycling is not what's going to shift things or everybody recycling, everybody becoming vegan right now will not do anything. so we need to like yeah, this actually needs to be something that happens on a massive scale. Um and it's sad. Yeah, so we we've uh we kind of we kinda let this uh section go by the wayside, but I'd like to I'd like to get back into it more often. And I think um as we know, uh our section, you're hurting our feelings, is uh, just kind of taking bits of uh news stories that are may or may not be substantive, um, often are, but really how they're digested, how they're presented is really more about um, just how it affects people, affects people on a personal level, um, rather than really being about any sort of uh, policy or cultural significance. Um and I thought a great one that everybody everybody's fucking talking about that this uh the last week or so is i th- I would love to get into Barack Obama's big six zero birthday party, birthday bash, because there was a lot of there was a lot of feels being thrown around on this from both sides uh there's a lot of smoke about it, so i thought I thought we should just i let's get into it. I don't think it's an interesting story actually I mean it's funny um but I don't know what do you think Dan
0: yeah it's one of the situations we talked about this with um Simone Biles you know obviously everybody cashes in and everybody has a hot take about it and clearly like everybody is either hated or loved because their hot take and like, it's such a movable group in that way too you know it's like if you talk shit about Obama like having the 60th birthday party um you're hated by some and loved by others you know it's It's just a lame story. Um, I will say it's very indicative of um, who Obama is.
1: It's, I think that's the most, you know, it's more of like, it's, it's the the most telling thing about it is uh, the character story of who Barack Obama, kind of who he has become, but more, I think, who he has always been. Um, But we're only now, you know, in his later uh, post-presidency years, getting to see, um, I think the man that he always was, which was uh, someone who, in very similar terms to uh, to Donald Trump, um, wanted to be a celebrity president. He wants to wants to be adored by all. Wants to be rubbing elbows with the uh, the rich and beautiful and popular uh, figures in uh, pop culture. Mm-hmm. And not really, uh, not really participate in anything that's uh, politically substantive, unless it's, you know, getting the NBA to stop protesting Black Lives Matter, or of course, he'll always be happy to come out of the woodwork if he can kneecap a Bernie Sanders campaign, but this is really who he is, he wants to be a, um, he wants to be you know, hanging out with Jay-Z and Don Cheadle and Richard Branson and be having lavish parties and be celebrated for it. And I think that's the thing that came from this. So I get, uh, I'm i getting ahead of myself a little bit here though, because like the big thing that kind of kicked this all off was the uh, perceived hypocrisy about the fact that uh, a lot of people on the left and especially in the um, mainstream media and elite uh, leftist circles are you know still really really holding on to mask mandates, wanting to hold on to lockdowns, and really I th- I think we've talked about it before, but I think that's a lot less out of a uh, interest, in, or I think it's become less about an interest in public health, um, and more an interest in uh, being able to have like. Uh, cultural or like uh, currency with which to shame people um, to mm-hmm. hold it over people's head I'm more I'm a more responsible citizen than you know um, and so and you know rightfully so this he's having this big you know 400 people or whatever birthday party uh, at Martha's Vineyard um, so like there was that they point out the hypocrisy of this and I don't know about you but first of all you know all those people are probably double vexed. Mm-hmm. I think if you're double vexed, you should absolutely be able to have a function like this. I don't have any problem with him having a big birthday party. Um, that's people's prerogative, and that's okay. Um, I think the, the hypocrisy is not the most interesting thing about it, but I do kind of get where it comes from, mm-hmm. from the criticism from the right.
0: I do want to point out, um, in, in, contrast, in contrast to Biden. Who so far has only gone to Delaware.
1: And it yeah, like every fucking weekend. Like
0: <laughs> it's we're making fun of his age, right? Yeah. Well, no, I mean <laughs> he's, he's in
1: Delaware he's in he's like he spent less time in, Delaware, in the White House Delaware. than Trump had at this time.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's just interesting, like in, again in contrast, like because I know Bill Clinton was a big staple on Martha's Vineyard, and of course he had that whole celebrity appeal as well. And Obama does it too. And Trump clearly chose his own resort because, of course, um, he, and I just, he, I wonder what he likes he,
1: being surrounded by gold shit, you know? That's yeah. Where he's comfortable.
0: Yeah, no. Um, Again, it reveals a lot about who Obama is, and clearly it's this celebrity president who wants, like you said, wants to be substantive on issues that will probably make you upset upon examination.
1: Yeah, and well, I think it's worth pointing out, for for those of you who don't know, uh. That this get this guest list in response to this like a day before the party or whatever, uh, in response to the criticism the backlash that they were getting, they did decide to scale down the uh, party guest list by about half, um, and wouldn't you know all of the former obama staffers like people like david axelrod and like others who had been with him from the beginning like since he was a senator and were really like instrumental in his rise to power and were with him every bit of the way all they got all those fucks got axed <laughs> and instead it's like don Cheadle and jay-z and erica badu and like eddie vetter we did think there was whispers that uh Pearl Jam would be headlining it. It turns out that was not true, but Eddie <laughs> Vedder was in attendance. Um,
0: Wait, were they going to have a headliner?
1: I don't know. Maybe they did. Uh, maybe it was wow. just sacrificing a child. Um, favor that. Uh, but yeah, they're. So that's first, again, he was a Kyle Kalinske said he was like a uh, described him like a great Gatsby type character. Um I think he's kind of closer to like a Patrick Bateman character, but it's just, to yeah, it's just, like, still. yeah okay. it's just like, yeah, okay, just like, it's, and like, I don't have any sympathy for Axel Raut or any of those fucks who got, you know, probably all the guys from Pod Save America didn't get to go like, I have no I have no sympathy for them like oh no you're the drone president and <laughs> invite you to a s- stupid ass party uh but like <laughs> it is fucking funny it is really uh, funny of really like funny. it's total mean girls shit of like there's no room at the, the table anymore and we're gonna you know
0: <laughs> it is kind of hilarious that it happened so near this cuomo um debacle because mm-hmm. it really i mean these moments defined how people feel about politics I, in my opinion, like, cause yeah. I think, you know, obviously people are starting to think about the midterms um, if not 2024. So, um, Hey, hypocrisy never looks good. In fact, it looks really bad in politics.
1: Yeah. But I think going back to, going back to your point, I guess this is, this is, uh, comparing it to Simone Biles, I guess is the crux of this of like, we can, I, I think the most interesting thing about it, if anything is interesting about it, other than it sounded like a lame fucking party, uh, Apparently they had a vegetarian uh menus uh provided by Quest Love. I heard that somewhere. Yeah, I didn't West know he you was become,
0: his... But you have to cook everything.
1: <laughs> he was on the catering team. He actually wasn't uh invited guest. Um I love Quest Love. I love the roots. Um but yeah, they had, they they had baseball caps that said uh 44 at 60, which is cool, bro uh super cool but yeah uh, sorry going back to what you said about uh simone biles and like this i think this is just a total issue of uh confirmation bias right you're gonna if you if you already loved obama you're not gonna care and you're gonna make every excuse for him in the world and be like oh well yeah he's a boss of course i'd party with jay-z rather than wear (laughs) mask. yeah but uh and then if you hate uh, if you hate obama um you're gonna hate him more uh yeah the hypocrisy thing was like the least interesting thing about this whole thing to me it was just like this kind of fucking absolute sociopath just living his best life folks uh do you think biden got invited
0: no like purposely right
1: no i mean no i don't think he was invited i don't know why but i feel like joe would probably be fun at a party actually that'd be the I, I've be it, it be sitting be in the corner eating soup, telling you about a telling you about a colored fellow he met back in like 50 years ago,
0: who I used to think, sell gum. I do you think Joe I, Joe Biden could be kind of fun?
1: I, know, I, I think I've said this before, but I'd love to have him as like my neighbor.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Every oh, um, probably nobody asked for this is uh, Matt Gates' insistence on um, bringing the conversation back to Britney Spears again i don't know i saw it
1: like a (laughs) a few ago and yeah it's it's such a weird it's such an odd play didn't he offer her like legal representation yeah yeah which is like yeah no i don't i don't remember hearing this i bless him bless him for yeah bless him for trying to stay in the public eye which is definitely not in his best interest but a good samaritan you
0: know um okay let it go man Ben, do you want to explain what gut reactions are?
1: Well, we just find something that we uh, found interesting, found funny, found compelling. And uh, I will pick one. Dan will pick one. Joe will find one. And we just kind of present it to the other one unprompted. And uh, you get our raw gut reaction to it. Unfiltered, unfettered opinion, basically.
0: I-, I showed a gut reaction with you.
1: All right. This is just a soft one to kick it off. So this is from Mediaite by Ken Meyer, July 7, 2021. Accused rioter has his U.S. Capitol Lego set seized by FBI as evidence. And just read the first bit of this. Uh, It's been about six months since the U.S. Capitol was besieged by Donald Trump supporters hoping to violently overturn his 2020 election defeat. While the former president is moving to legally battle the tech companies that banished him from social media in connection to those events, the Justice Department continues to bring charges against the rioters while seeking out participants who've yet to be identified and indicted. In the meantime, the FBI has indicted a Pennsylvania man who supposedly played a leadership role during the attempted insurrection, and judging by the evidence they seized from his home, they're literally building a case against him brick by brick. Real nice, Ken. Okay. Uh, the the smoking gun has a report out on accused rider Robert Morse and the violent actions he allegedly committed against police police officers as he and others breached the Capitol's Lower West Terrace. According to the court documents obtained by the outlet, the FBI seized evidence from Morse's home after placing him under arrest, and one of the most curious items they confiscated was a fully constructed US Capitol Lego set. Yeah, Uh, I mean, this is not, like, a news story. I mean, this is funny. Uh, And it's just really, I mean, it's really emblematic of, like, what this whole thing has devolved into. I think we should do, like, a longer recap discussion of what's going on with the January sixth stuff, even though I really want it to be over. I think there is substantive stuff to talk about mostly in the fact that like half of them were fucking FBI informants and uh that sort of thing I'm interested in talking about that but talking about these people it's like yeah like I think we said this in the first episode they were clearly like unorganized very dumb sad people and like what but if he was planning out his route through the capitol via legos then i think that's proving my point about as well as you possibly could right like it shows you how dumb the investigation is and how dumb that guy was like is there anything else to say about it like how put yourself in the shoes of an fbi uh agent like what like putting it in a like putting like the little like ticket on it for evidence like take this in did, like did they want to kill themselves in that moment of like oh my god how what all those years at quantico for this shit what is what is my fucking life confiscating lego sets oh my god let it go i don't know <laughs> It's like when uh, there was a story a while back of or years back that was like some guy broke into the White House. Um and like they found in his car like a map of DC and like a fucking Sharpie marker had circled the White House. And it was like, yeah, this is like this is the level of uh of of master criminal that you're dealing with.
0: This this kind of revives the uh, the conversation we had with the the Haiti assassins. Yeah. The worst men for the
1: job. Yeah, it should be. Yeah, it's like you should. It should like this stuff should give you. know. People get mad at me, too, for like kind of. Underplaying the severity of January 6th and I stand by it. I don't don't think it was. I mean, it. you know, it was it was serious in certain results or certain ways. And it's you know, it's terrible that it happened, but it wasn't fucking 9-11. It just wasn't. And it's never going to be. We can try it as much as we want, but and I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe all those Saudi hijackers had a fucking Lego World Trade Center up in their uh, in their loft apartment, and they had like and then like a model, a paper airplane, and we're like okay, we're going and then we go here, and then we hit it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They throw it. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's how everybody trains. So everybody trains. It's just like, yeah, It was like this guy watched fucking Ocean's Eleven. and was like, where do they get those dioramas? I, was, you know, ah, we can't afford them.
0: All right. What's
1: yours? I've been holding on to this one for a little bit. This is some news out of England that came out a couple weeks ago.
0: <laughs> All right. This is from Indy 100, uh, which is part of the Independent publication um should note the way the ads look on this thing make it seem as if like it's a the sun newspaper or something
1: no it's just that's the this article was all over the british press that's just oh, okay. the first one that came up there was a guardian article about it
0: Jeez. okay so this is by kate Plummer, um who on thursday 15th of july 2021 had the privilege to write the byline I read the headline. Um, Actor in monkey costume with fake penis and bare bum was invited to the library to encourage children to read. <laughs> Scroll down and you, you, get, you get a photo of... <laughs> this is a great caption of the, the photo is the offending monkey.
1: <laughs> and could you just... Could you give our listeners like a little description of this vision of horror that is this costume?
0: Yeah, so you would think... Kind of planet of the apes um when you hear the story it's like oh yeah penis is a weird addition but bear bum i can get it um and you think kind of like brown fur or something normal uh no this is uh all pastel <laughs> rainbow colored
1: fur with a gigantic pink cock face very re- realistic like dildo like looks like a human yeah. penis yeah um good eight inches at least. Really. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, and like they, the way that they've done the makeup, um, does make it kind of appear like Planet of the Apes, but somehow much more creepy. Um, so just I'll, I'll read a couple of paragraphs. This is where to begin, where to begin, right? Uh, reading is good, it's entertaining, it's education, it's relaxing. But unfortunately, some children aren't so keen on it. There are competitors out there like the TV, the outside world, friends, phones, computers, TikTok, all threatening to cause their educational. TikTok, all threatening to cause their educational performance to d- dip upon return to school after the summer. Huh. I don't know why they decided to make that a different sentence. Um, and so, to the summer reading, we challenge. And so, to the summer reading challenge, we turn an educational competition that began in 1999 to encourage children to read six books over the course of their six-week summer holiday, and in the process, win stickers and medals based on whatever the theme is in a given year. It's supported by umbrella groups and takes place in local libraries across the country. It's all very wholesome stuff until now. Um, Good Mays Library in Redbridge, East London, ruined everything by inviting an actor in a rainbow monkey costume with a fake penis and bare bum to, launch, to the launch event and created an absolute shit storm. The actor, the actor represented this year's theme, Wild World Heroes. <laughs> <laughs> and was joined by someone dressed as a strawberry and another dressed as a frog in a promotional video circulated on social media. Oh man. So I I have to figure out was this by choice? This was the choice costume?
1: Okay, so I have a I have another thing to send to this. So I did a like deep I tried to do as deep of a dive as I could into this when I when I found this story. So the uh <clears throat> the group in question that sent the uh terrifying rainbow monkey penis guy with very realistic flesh-colored nipples too by the way yeah. um so they're called uh, they're called mandinga arts or mandinga performing arts or something like that mm-hmm. now the first by the way as a side note the first article i read Uh, had a typo and they said it was Mandingo Arts and I was like yeesh (laughs) and I was like you that library should have caught that you should have never hired these people Um, but no it's Mandingo which is still a little uncomfortably close to Mandingo yeah Um, but I went around I was like trying to find out more about them and they put on sort of wild costumed theatrical events for children and stuff and i'm gonna send I'm gonna send a picture to a, a screenshot to the uh, to the whatsapp chat. Okay. Uh, so I, I I looked up like hashtag mandinga arts on uh, Instagram, and this was the first picture I found. Um,
0: <laughs> so, okay, so they are are they um, Dutch
1: No, I think they're I think they're I don't know. But I mean, they operate in the U.K. Uh, And it's just
0: some, like, Dutch yeah, carnival.
1: Yeah. So, and for our listeners now, there's a few, there's four characters shown. One of them's got sort of a uh, Maleficent kind of witch thing. Another Mm. one is, like, a sunshine rays. The other one's, like, a zebra thing or whatever. And there's another guy that shows that this is a theme, uh, which is a rainbow giant penis and that giant penis that comes out of the man's head is covered with smaller penises. And, that, um, and where that man's penis would be, there is also another very large penis that has more smaller penises coming out of it.
0: Oh, I, did you notice the penis is on the leg too?
1: Yeah, yeah. The penis, penis, penis is coming out of the legs, out of the arms, off the other penis. Um, and penises <laughs> on the chest too, it looks like. Yeah. Wow. So they have a thing for rainbow penises, um, but this caused quite the uproar, and yeah, I don't, I don't know what the fuck these perverts over at Mandenga ours were thinking, but yeah, this.
0: I think I think terror- it's time for you to come home, Ben. <laughs> <laughs>
1: this country is culture- This country is morally bankrupt, <laughs> there's, and there's no saving it.
0: Uh, this this tweet is kind of funny. It said, um, and they picture the the. The, the monkey, um, but they also have an ass shot, and the ass is uh, they, it looks like this ass um, trains at the gym five days of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Very fit. Um, but yeah, the tweet says, can a word capture the spirit of an age? Image certainly can. Images certainly can. In future, when we think back on the zeitgeist of 2021, we may remember rainbow dildo butt monkey and wonder how on earth we descended to thinking that this was suitable entertainment for children. <laughs>
1: And to teach uh, them to read, no less. Like, I got an idea. Yeah,
0: it, sure. it, it just sounds like such a comedy skit. Like, you know, they're walking with him, and the dick hits a little kid in the face, or something.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's something out of like Nick Kroll.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that was a good one. Yeah.
1: That's that's all I got for for gut reactions. I'm gonna,
0: <laughs> I'm gonna send two more, and these we don't have to sit on these long but they're just kind of funny this one made me laugh
1: hey this comes from indie wire by zach scharf june june 14th 2021 uh kevin hart says shut the fuck up to cancel culture i personally don't give a shit about it Hart says it's important to give uh to give people the chance to grow adding the only way you grow up is from fucking up Kevin Hart experienced cancel culture firsthand when controversial jokes from his past resurfaced ahead of his gig hosting the 91st Academy Awards. The comedian exited the Oscars in the wake of the media blitz that surrounded his past jokes, but it took a while for Hart to issue a straightforward apology for his insensitive words. Now in a new interview with the Sunday Times ahead of Netflix debut of his new film, Fatherhood, Hart railed against cancel culture and said it has led to a loss of freedom in comedy because many comics feel censored by thinking that things you say will come back and bite you in the ass. I mean, it's
0: true. Um, no, but it's, for me, the, the funny part is um, reading it in like Kevin Hart voice.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm, which I'm not I'm suggesting I'm, you do that. I'm not going to do that. Uh,
0: also, that's the, the UK Sunday Times. No, oh. Which is interesting.
1: yeah i don't know i remember i remember kevin Hart getting canceled like he totally got canceled and i thought it was i thought it was dumb i mean um his stuff is pretty tame um he got taken down for like a vaguely homophobic joke or you know a homophobic joke he told several years before it's just like whatever and then i do remember seeing some people posting about uh this new fatherhood thing and being like fuck him like how dare he talk about you know it's like i don't know it's just it's yeah it's just people want to hate people forever it's like leave kevin hart alone and he's not that big a deal like Um, directed directed towards andrew cuomo people in power people who are actually doing bad shit and it's like oh this person told a joke you didn't like like nine years ago like who gives a shit don't listen to it you don't have to it's
0: the culture was much much different back, back then i don't use that as an excuse obviously and if people you know if people want to not listen to him or if they want to quote-unquote cancel him you know unfortunately i don't want to say unfortunately it's just the way the, the world works now um
1: well you're not going to cancel him he's one of the biggest comedians like of all time
0: yeah i think he's weathered the storm i don't
1: think that it's yeah. going anywhere you know? and also he went on like a huge apology tour for it he stepped down from the oscars and shit like what more how much more blood do you need to take from this guy like what's the pound of flesh that's always the thing is there's no end game to this conversation other than like what you want these people to disappear there's still people complaining about louis ck in that way too of just like what's enough like we just like get like yeah they're just out of they're just you work at a gas station now forever because you said something i didn't like like especially with kevin hart who, i mean i don't really watch his shit it's not my favorite stuff but like who cares there's bigger there's bigger demons to slay
0: i have one more for you
1: yeah there's another one from mediaite by caleb howe august 3rd 2021 Uh, News from Florida. DeSantis gives Ben and Jerry's parent company 90 days to cease Israel boycott or face consequences. What are you going to do Ron DeSantis?
0: Oh my god. I I really think Ron DeSantis is killing it. Um, Ron Machiavelli DeSantis I should say. Yeah oh
1: man he's yeah straight for the jugular every time this guy. Uh, Okay so I'll just read the first couple lines of this. We all know where this is going but on Tuesday, Florida added Unilever parent company of Ben and Jerry's to their list of, quote, scrutinized companies over the ice cream giants boycott of Israel, but scrutinized companies by Florida, like that's a thing, does every state. Yeah, right. uh, going back to reading uh, this means they have 90 days to cease the boycott or face being boycotted themselves by the state of Florida. Penn uh, and Jerry's announced it was canceling the contract with its Israeli license because it will no longer do business in occupied Palestinian territory, a move that sparked a fierce backlash from the Israeli government. Florida is, well, this is important. Uh, Florida is one of many U.S. states with laws regarding boycotting of Israel or Israeli citizens. Its state board of administrators maintains a list of quote, scrutinized companies, so it is a uh, directly in the BDS stuff, okay, Uh, which is made up of, quote, companies that participate in the boycott of Israel, including actions that limit commercial relations with Israel or Israeli controlled territories. Florida has added Unilever to that list, as they did Airbnb earlier this year. The announcement was made Tuesday following the blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, Yeah, uh, this this whole, this whole thing is insane. I mean, it's, it's absolutely part and parcel. So yeah, just going back to this, uh, for anybody who hasn't heard about it, going back to the, yeah, Benny and Jerry's made a pretty, you know, I wouldn't, I, I don't know, anodyne to me, but not to some people, but they, you yeah, know, they basically said they weren't going to, uh, Uh, sell their shit in occupied Palestinian territories anymore. And that was it. And uh, characteristically, uh, the Israeli government threw a big old hissy fit, like the big uh, fucking thin-skinned babies that they are. And, uh, you know, every every fucking, you know, all all the greatest hits, you know, this is an anti-Semitic company, even though I'm pretty sure Ben and Jerry, who actually don't run the company anymore, but are both Jewish people, uh they made the statement but yeah yeah they made the statement but yeah so israel was doing what israel does right um and then the more that's not surprising the thing that might be more surprising to people is that there are uh there are laws on the books and (coughs) quite you know like at least a dozen states maybe more um about uh being anti-bds so you may remember uh there was a there was a story that came out a couple years ago from Texas of uh, like public school workers were pressured to sign in like, yeah. a, an agreement that they would not participate in BDS. Um, this is, a, this is a, it's so like it's so stupid and childish on one level, but this should be a really big deal to you no matter where you stand on the political spectrum. And also, whatever your opinion is on Israel, um, it is batshit crazy that we should, that an American citizen or an American company or a state or any person in the United States of America should have to like pledge allegiance to a foreign nation. That's crazy. Uh, and that's what's so funny from like people like, you know, the Ben Shapiro's of the world and like, uh, you know, all these like fucking right wing so called like free speech patriots, they they should be the ones who are the most up in arms about this. I mean, imagine if you were getting a new job, and it's like, okay, uh, you need to uh, all well and good all this paperwork uh, is in order but uh, just before we start you need to uh, sign this pledge that you're never going to criticize the French government. Like, what? I wouldn't do that. I mean, I, I have, you know, our opini- my opinions on uh, the state of Israel are well documented on this show, but I wouldn't do that for any country ever.
0: Like, you know, not to interrupt, but I just want to say one thing that fascinates me about this, and I totally agree, it's, it's very strange at the most uh, neutral way to think about this, but the, it's achieved in the most obnoxious of ways you know it's it's obviously like they made this in response to the uh, ben and jerry's decision but it's like such a laughable legislation on its surface yet it does have this political force behind it like as you mentioned there are anti-bds movements uh excuse me anti-bds legislation in uh you know in many states right um and it's kind of the same with like the uh anti what do they call it they call it like anti-rioting but they really mean like anti-protesting legislation that is just as pernicious and like it's so laughable yet these laws are actually getting passed
1: yeah and they're really insidious i mean it is laughable and like but like you again like for anybody who doesn't know about these things like look into it and like are you, ask yourself are you okay with this be, because no one should be okay with this it is so fucking crazy yeah. that and like, for, you know, again, it's, this is what Israel does. They, they throw fits, they're very thin-skinned, and they will, they will do this every time. But that doesn't mean we should have to fucking listen to them, you know, and like my, you know, like what, and th- they're the definition of sore winners. They get everything they fucking want from the U.S. government, and it's never enough. They're still not happy with it. It's like, why don't you go take your fucking billions of dollars in support and shut the fuck up and stay out of our fucking political discourse and stay out of like, you, you do not get to tell us what to do. You don't get to, and you don't get to tell a private American company, especially if you're like, if you're like pro-capitalist, this should infuriate you that like your company isn't allowed to make its own fucking decisions on where it's going to sell its product because some foreign government wants to have a little bitch fit about it. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, again, like, these people who pretend to be, like, the Ben Shapiros of the world really do pretend to be rigid about their ideology, yet when it comes to this then it's, This is a like, bridge like, too far. Like, right, right, yeah, yeah exactly. So,
1: Companies have this, but I think Ben Shapiro did have a tweet like that. He was like, Ben and Jerry's has gone too far. And I was like, come fuck <laughs> off. Like, you have, no, you have no spine. You have uh, no actual moral character <clears throat> on fucking anything uh huff post update this just came out like just a minute I ago should. didn't it wow uh britney spears's father intends to step down as conservator reports this is breaking news an attorney from the pop star said that jamie spears should step aside immediately uh singer britney spears's father intends to transition away from acting as her conservator uh marking a major potential victory for the pop star as she seeks to dissolve that yeah that's great um
0: Wait, wait, i just want to say that cuomo his resignation is actually 14 days away and i'm wondering this is like such a cuomo move to transition you know yeah. his, his resignation is not immediate wow yeah
1: yeah it's i mean yeah it's it's that's good it's very good uh we'll see what this means for if this can you know and also fuck him i did does he not have you know he can he can, bat, you know, he can lay in his piles of ill-gotten cash for the rest of his life. He's set up. So, yeah, fuck off, Jamie okay. Spears. We don't need you.
0: thank you all for hanging with us, sitting with us through season 1. We are really excited to show you what we have up our sleeves for season 2. So, it's Kevin Gotzola this week and next week. Who knows? We'll see.
1: Stay tuned.
2: Hey there. Oh.
0: Kevin. Hey, welcome back.
2: Hello, oh, I was just uh, fumbling with it.
0: <laughs> totally. Aren't we um, all? Uh, Kevin, thank you for coming back. Thank you for joining us again. I know today's been super busy, so we're super excited to talk to you. Um, again, my name is Dan.
1: Dan, this is our producer, Joe.
0: I know we're kind of in a time crunch today, so I just want to kind of um, get some rapid fire uh, questions over to you about the Assange case, as well as sure. the mail. So we'll just do like a quick introduction, and then we can dive in. That sounds good. Um, All right. All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome to season two of Villain for All Seasons. I'm Dan. I'm Ben. And we are speaking with our first repeat guest, uh, Kevin Gotstola. Kevin um, recently just covered the Assange hearing that happened today. And we are really excited to talk to him about that and Daniel Hale. Um, But without further ado, um, Kevin, could you just give us an update on what actually happened today with the Assange
2: hearing? Yeah, Uh, so thanks for welcoming me back. Uh, the hearing this morning was about two hours long, and essentially the U.S. government was telling the high court that they were wrong, this, this British high court of justice, it's an, it's an appeals court. Uh, this is appeal in the extradition case against Julian Assange, and they were telling the high court of justice that it was wrong for them to not allow them to appeal on two specific grounds, and one ground was that they believe that the credi- excuse me, the credibility of uh, this psychiatrist, this neuropsychiatrist named Michael Kopelman was um, uh, that, that he gave unreliable testimony because he is documented misleading the court. Um, and that's according to the way the judge ruled. Um, that's not my opinion. I'm. I'm just taking a word that the judge used where she said uh, that he misled the court by not revealing the relationship that Julian Assange had with Stella Morris, who was working with the legal team, and that he had fathered two children within the Ecuador embassy. So that was one issue. And then the other one was the risk of suicide. And she was, uh, When she made her ruling she relied upon this professor, this this neuropsychiatrist's evidence along with another doctor's evidence related to uh, Julian Assange being diagnosed with autism. And so this was all important to calculating that if he was extradited it would be oppressive for health reasons to send him to the United States. And on these two grounds the high court initially said they could not have an appeal. They could have an appeal on three other grounds, but these two, because they involve facts, you know, what I'm talking about are conclusions of fact, it's not a legal debate. So for us to talk about this, we would be challenging doctors whose expertise is usually incontrovertible. We can't really say to them, because we're not in any position, the judge is not in any position to say to these doctors, like, you don't know, that Julian Assange is suffering from these mental health disorders. So, typically, an appeals court wouldn't question this, but they've got the appeals court to allow the US government to find a, a way to argue that this doctor wasn't a was credible witness. So,
1: oh, right,
0: go go ahead. ahead,
1: Dan. Go ahead, Dan. Sorry.
0: I want to talk about the Copeland situation and how that really relates. What do they mean a couple men misled the the court in regards to the Stella Morris and fathering two children? I guess I'm I'm confused, how how does that apply to the case?
2: Uh, It shouldn't (laughs) because the judge actually in her ruling addressed this issue and said she was upset that he didn't fulfill his duty or obligation as an expert witness. He signed something in December, 2019 that said anything that could have an adverse impact on his evidence uh, should be brought before the court. If he had concerns about the disclosure of any details, he could apply to the district court and he could say that, I think this information should be kept private. Now, obviously there are things we understand about the nature in which lawfare has occurred in the Julian Assange case and the way it can occur in other cases. So you could imagine the defense team talking with Michael Kobelman and saying, I don't know know, if it's even good to petition the court and tell the court that we are wanting to keep this private because what if they go against us and they're going to force us to disclose this before we're ready to reveal to the world that Stella Morris is a partner of Julian Assange, and that uh, they fathered two children in the Ecuador embassy. And this isn't an abstract uh, kind of like TMZ sort of issue. The fact is there was a surveillance company named UC Global that conducted an espionage operation against the Ecuador embassy. And they did wild things like tried to get a hold of a diaper so that they could do DNA testing and figure out if the baby was Julian Assange's or uh, they wanted to uh, pursue the possibility at least David Morales, the director considered the possibility of poisoning and kidnapping Julian Julian Assange. Uh, There were were heavily interested in Stella Morris. There've been threats that have been issued against him. When his home was raided, By the police, because there's a criminal case unfolding in Spain against David Morales, they found two weapons with the serial numbers erased, and he had no ownership licenses for those weapons, which raises the concern and threat level of him and anyone around him. And and Julian Assange at this time, uh, in December 2019, was already, I, I believe, in some way or another challenging what had happened with the UC Global Company against him while he was in the embassy. So that just raises the reasoning for keeping it private that there's a relationship ongoing with Stella Morris. It's believed that the U.S. government through some intelligence agency had contracted out or was aware of the contract or was some way supporting a contract with UC Global for spying on the Ecuador embassy. So there's no trust in revealing this relationship through the court or allowing the US government to find out that there's a relationship with Stella Morris and that he has two children. They don't want it to become something they can use as leverage against Julian Assange in the extradition case either. Nonetheless, he could have made this uh, this request to the court to keep it private and so let's accept that he did mislead the court it doesn't matter like what you're trying to figure out is how does that have any effect on his expert evidence on Julian assange's mental health condition so he misled the court and he and this is the thing the defense says and also the judge said there's a very human reason why he didn't want to tell the court. And she recognized that. Like Judge Vanessa Barretzer, who entertained a lot of the other arguments and didn't accept that Julian Assange was a journalist, still in her ruling said, understand the, the human reason for not wanting to tell this court about Stella and the kids so that you could protect them. And so anyways, she writes out in her ruling All of the evidence from Kopelman related to Julian Assange's psychiatric state and says that basically this is all thorough. This is the doctor who was treating and seeing Julian Assange from May 2019 to December 2019 and knows best and, and better than any of the other doctors, whether he's at risk of suicide or not. He saw the way that he was after he was expelled from the embassy in April, he saw how he got better as he was able to have visits, um, as there was some treatment that went on at Belmarsh prison. And then he saw how he deteriorated again at the end of 2019. So he was able to map out and see what this long time frame is like for Assange, which is the same kind of time that we would see play out in a US jail or at a US prison. Um, and so, and there's moments of uncertainty and not knowing what's gonna happen next with his family or his case and that's the kind of thing that is important for this doctor to assess and so the conclusion by uh, vanessa barretzer said it doesn't matter he misled i don't forgive him for that i think that that's a, a, a bad mark on him but it has no bearing on what he's saying which is important to me and why i'm going to reject this extradition request and make this conclusion that it would be oppressive to extradite them to the United States.
0: That was a great explanation of that. And I, I love the TMZ call out there. Um, I, could you, it, it, the U.S. did win the uh, appeal today, right? And um, can you talk a little bit about that as well as um, give a little bit of an overview of the, the suicide element that you mentioned earlier as well?
2: Yeah, so I'll just be a little persnickety because there's a resistance grifter out there named Eric Garland who was really excited that uh, it looked like the US had just won its appeal. And I I suppose he wanted his followers to think Assange was gonna be extradited to the United States any moment. Um, But it was just basically that they can argue it. So the US, you know, we could sit here for an hour and debate whether they're in a better position or not to be able to argue it before the high court. You know, on one hand you could say, the High Court of Justice is just like, yeah, whatever. Argue it before us. You know, Ultimately, we could see ourselves rejecting it, but we'll just let you do whatever you want. You want. You're want the United States government. We normally let you do anything anyways, so just come argue it. That doesn't mean we're going to say that it's a fair reason for Julia Assange to be extradited to the United States. Um, so on the matter of the, the risk of suicide, and yes, um, they won. They they. So technically speaking, the appeal expanded. All the arguments that they want to make before the High Court of Justice are going to be heard. And that hearing will take place at the end of October. On October 27th and 28th, it'll be a two-day hearing. And I'm glad that it's not going to be four days because I don't matter how much the defense and the prosecutors wanted to argue that they needed four days for this. I don't I don't think I can get up at 3:30 a.m. for four straight days. Um, already did one month back in September. And I'm also tired of our time being wasted because this case is like, there's, there's really not much to it. Like, honestly, a lot of these arguments that we're having, they're very frivolous. There's nothing to it. They have nothing to do with the core issue of press freedom in which Julian Assange um, is, is, you know, the, the, the case is a threat to press freedom. And, and we sit here having these discussions in court that have nothing to do with the larger issue of what's happened to Julian Assange and his family. And so the risk of suicide issue is basically that uh, they want to contest this evidence, go back over it, and they're complaining that Judge Vanessa Barretzer was more into evidence from two doctors that the defense preferred, but didn't really like the doctors that the prosecutors put forward. And so it's, uh, you know, basically them saying that we want the High Court of Justice to consider our facts and to ignore the defense's facts.
0: Interesting. Um, What happens next? I mean, I know that you mentioned that they do have this, this hearing coming up at the end of October. Um, What do you, what do you expect? What's your prediction?
2: Well, all along, I've expected that the United States government would have a, a major uphill battle, but what we have taking place in October will be the argument over whether the judge should have asked them for assurances. I put assurances in quotes uh, for anyone who's just listening and not watching video, because they, the US government, believes that it was Judge Vanessa Barretzer's responsibility or obligation to come to them and say, I don't think his human rights would be respected. Uh, I want you to tell me if there's anything you could do to alleviate that concern. Um, and then having alerted them, they would have said this is what they claim in their appeal. We would have told the court, we would have told the judge that We will not put him in special administrative measures. This really intense way of placing a person accused of national security offenses in confinement while they're waiting for trial and uh, potentially later after their conviction. You know, when that restricts you to like maybe one or two phone calls a month, you get to screen, uh, do do more extensive screenings of their mail, it, it disrupts your communications with your lawyers. It's harder for you to work on your defense. They're, they usually would do this if they're afraid of leaks or um, afraid of how he would use his ability to communicate, and uh, if they thought saw him as some kind of threat. Uh, and so they'll say, "Well, we won't put him in Sam's, but you know, if he gets here and he does something, and we need to put him in Sam's, we could put him in Sam's." Uh, and then the other thing was that they'll allow the Australia government to take him, and he can go to Australia and serve his prison sentence if he's convicted in the United States, because there's a treaty that the U.S. has with Australia that would allow him, since since Julian Assange is an Australian citizen. So, but I mean, just think of the absurdity of that for one moment, because essentially the U.S. government is telling the high court now that they can't take a person and hold them in jail or prison without violating their human rights. And so they're going to dump him off to Australia and Australia will do a better job of taking care of him. So don't worry. You won't have to let us, you won't have to worry about us taking him and he won't be at risk of committing suicide. We won't drive him mad and crazy because he's going to go to Australia, which is going to be closer to where he was born. It's just, it's ludicrous to accept that as a way of getting around the 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 core problem that led Judge Bresser to reject the extradition in the first place but this is what they're trying and I honestly don't know what the High Court of Justice's response will be other than to reflect on a, a past case involving a hacker named Lori Love which I only know a few details about but the basic essence that is relevant to Julian Assange's case is that Laurie was accused of doing something that uh, involved a violation of uh, Computer Fraud and Abuse Act or you know it's he's treated almost the same way that Julian Assange is being treated right now and he had his own mental health conditions. Um, I think he had some kind of uh, autism or Asperger's and it was Put forward that if he was in general population in uh, the U.S., that it would be inhumane for him and he would not be able to survive. And so, for that reason, they denied the extradition. The High Court of Justice did. And so they're using that. And actually, there's a similar there, there's there's a really interesting thread here because Edward Fitzgerald is a defense attorney for Julian Assange. He represented Lori Love. And now he is representing Julian Assange in this case, so he knows what he's doing. And he reminds the high court of justice that you're supposed to consider the Lori Love approach when you are determining the outcome of these extradition cases and whether to grant it or not. And so I think, well, nobody wants to focus on Assange as like somebody who is going to have a mental breakdown if he goes to the United States and people wanna talk about him as a publisher and defend him for the work that he's done in releasing documents of great importance and exposing war crimes. But this is the way that you are likely to prevail and prevent him from getting into the clutches of the US government. Um, this is the way that ultimately he could be saved from being in their custody and put on trial because of the Lori Love case, and um, there's another case Um, before involving a hacker named Gary McKinnon, uh, the early 2000s, um, and he was accused of, um, I believe he was accused of hacking the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency or something like that, but um, he, uh, these both are people who had mental health problems, and ultimately, the UK did not authorize their extradition, so they were never put on trial in the United States.
0: I want to let Ben get in with some uh, some questions if you have
1: any, Ben. No, I wasn't. Well, I wasn't ready actually. That I that threw me for a loop. I didn't know about the Lori Love or the Gary McKinnon things. Um,
2: yeah, no, those me. are those are both really interesting um, cases, and I think should give people who are Assange supporters some hope that the High Court of Justice will be very particular with the U.S. government. As they try to wiggle their way around and say that the judge made an error when she ruled well
1: yeah i guess my I guess my question would because I'm like, i don't know it's such a it's such a i guess I wonder like and you've already kind of fielded this, so I apologize, but like what's your feeling of like that we've come to this, that we're talking about these sort of we've We've come so far away from what this original case was that, like I think just somebody coming in and reading, like if you read a piece in The Guardian or the Nation or whatever today about the Assange ruling, it almost like has no bearings to bearing to uh, why he's there in the first place. Um, and I wondered if just if you have any thoughts on that, it's like 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 what you're talking about with these cases, like I see the like, I don't know. I guess the legal ease of it, but it's it's a it's kind of dizzying to think about. Like, how did we get from like this is like a clear cut thing of press freedom to uh, a you know a kind of seemingly spurious mental health issue with hackers from.
2: We're very before. deep. We're, we're very deep into the punishment by process, right? Yeah. Like this is this is how long can we drag this out? And if if if. My opinion is that the Biden administration is actually comfortable with losing the case, but they would like it to go all the way to the Supreme Court because if they can get it to the UK Supreme Court, which is the next level higher from the High Court of Justice and the last stage that they could actually take any appeal, and they lost in the Supreme Court, they just have to accept that Julian Assange is never going to be on U.S. soil for them to put on trial. But what they would like to do is continue to drag this out and keep him in legal limbo. And uh, if they can't have a trial and they can't put him in a US prison, then the next best thing is seeing how long they can make this go in the UK. And they're succeeding. And um, it's wearing on Julian Assange. Um, What you're saying is really important because, uh, well, let me get back to the fact that there's a cross appeal that they plan to attempt. But we actually heard Julian Assange talk after the hearing and I I shared this in my coverage on, on Twitter and in the live report that I put together, but the High Court of Justice didn't do anything to protect the conversation and all of these reporters were still on this video link. And Edward Fitzgerald told Julian Assange, you know, I, I brought you back. I wanted to talk to you. Uh, and he was in Belmarsh prison. He didn't come to court, uh, to the Royal Courts of Justice. He stayed at Belmarsh prison. So he was joining by a video feed, just like me. We were on the same system as the press. So the press is there. And then you see Julian Assange tuning in to watch court. And And by the way, just for people who want to know about his state and well-being you know he had these big glasses on and he as well as a very shiny white hair and he um, had a, a black f- uh, face mask because it was still protecting from pandemic in the in the prison and uh, he had a black necktie that was draped around his neck but it wasn't tied he had a white dress shirt um, so he was dressed up like he was going to court But obviously, like he's not really gonna be at court. So it really doesn't matter if he ties his necktie or not. Um, And so he's there, he's brought back by the Belmarsh uh, authorities, uh, let's say the guards. And he is talking to Edward Fitzgerald and and Edward Fitzgerald informs him that this isn't private. Um, You might wanna wait until we have a phone call and we can talk about what happened today. And he said, I, I don't understand. I, I just don't understand. An, an expert wish, witness has an obligation to protect people from harm. My children, like he says, my children, you know, my family. Um, and then he starts talking about the sawed off, he says, a sawed off gun. He's referring to like the weapons that were found in da- David Morales' home. And it's, it, you know, it's baffling to him that this high court of justice is allowing the U.S., to discredit this psychiatrist on the basis that he wanted to protect Julian and Stella and the children from any possible harm from people who have made threats against Assange and his family. So he was processing this, and Fitzgerald explained to him that this isn't the end of the line, we haven't lost, everything is still just arguable, and it's like I said earlier in this discussion, you know, the high court... It's just allowing arguments, it can reject every single one of them, but they're being thorough and they're gonna let the US say whatever they wanna say. And so, uh, so, yes, it does feel like it's gotten far away. And I think that's kind of the frustration of Julian Assange is that as he sits here and watches these proceedings, it's a whole discussion uh, way down in the weeds about things that don't really have anything to do with why the US government targeted him in the first place. And that's because he published documents that they wanted to keep secret and they embarrassed the united states they exposed war crimes there's evidence of torture they involved uh it related to the u.s drone program and we could go on and on Um, and so there's a cross appeal that is actually planned uh, but they have to wait for the u.s appeal to run its course in the high court and then they'll go before the high court of justice depending on that outcome, or maybe regardless. And they'll say to the High Court of Justice that they want to challenge the way that Judge Vanessa Barretzer handled the issues involving uh, whether what J- uh, Julian did was journalistic activity or not. You know, She rejected. She said that what he did was conduct outside of what journalists would do. So they think that's wrong, and that in the future, it will be bad for journalists to have that precedent in a district court and they wanna challenge it. So that's good. Um, we're just, we just have to wait and get through the US appeal because unfortunately for, well, actually I would put, I think it's fortunate because if it was the, if it was that he was losing, then now would be the natural time to say all the things about jeopardizing press freedom. But because he's on the winning end, he has to wait his turn and the US is continuing to lose and then see what happens. And then you know he's on the winning side so but he can't object and do a cross appeal it's really complicated i know that people are kind of dizzy by it but um uh, it's a good thing that julian assange and his legal team ultimately want to come back and challenge the judge's ruling even if he is set free from belmarsh and all of this goes away
0: kevin i want to be respectful of your time but i definitely want to ask you about daniel hale um, yeah, I can keep going. Okay, great. Um, uh, if you could just give us an overview of the Daniel Hale case. Um, I'm also curious if you could tie in uh, what the prosecutors wanted from the case and what they ended up getting with the verdict.
2: What the prosecutors did what?
0: Uh, the, the sentence that the prosecutors, wa- prosecutors wanted. Um, oh, yeah.
2: Getting. Uh, so the U.S. government wanted Daniel Hale, Uh, this drone whistleblower, to go to prison for nine years. It would have been the harshest sentence ever issued for someone accused of an unauthorized disclosure of information under the Espionage Act. Right now, uh, the record holder is reality winner, NSA whistleblower, who received uh, 63 months in prison and is now out on home confinement. She was the first espionage major espionage act case under President Donald Trump. So Daniel Hale for people who do not know is someone who was in the Air Force. He was part of Joint Special Operations Command. He was a signals intelligence analyst. He was involved in helping with the geolocation of targets who were put on lists and designated for drone strikes. And so he was in Afghanistan during uh, the early 2000s, about 2012. And uh, ultimately, he was honorably discharged. He came back home, had significant objections to what he was asked to do and the role that he played. Clearly, it caused post-traumatic stress disorder within him and he wrestled with what the right thing was for him to do next. He joined Iraq Veterans Against the War. He spoke at Code Pink Summit, Code Pink being the well-known peace group in Washington DC. And there uh, he was able to address uh, relatives of people who were killed in a, in a drone strike in Yemen and, and others who were in attendance that were flown there for, the drone Summit. He uh, participated in a documentary called National Bird and he was seen with Jeremy Scahill who at the time was doing some of the most well-known work on the drone program particularly well he did the CIA and the military drone program through his Dirty Wars project and so Daniel Hale um, was you know, associating himself with people who challenge drone warfare. And then he needed money and wanted to go to college, and he recognized he still had a security clearance. So he went to the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency to work for a contractor. He signed up through this contractor named Lados, and there he had a job. And this is just a rather mundane mapping job. Uh, it, I think it's questionable as to like, whether there's even any role for them to play in our government anymore. As, as he would tell you, he found out that most of the time they were mapping things that you could already find on Google maps and maps that Google had would be even better than this agency. He didn't know he was going to have access to this highly classified information involving the US drone program, but he did. And so at one point, at one point while he was there, he tells a story in his letter to the court of being invited uh, to stay after work with some people he was befriending or getting to know his colleagues in the office. They said, why don't you stay after? We're gonna watch this archive footage of drone strikes. And that was something that uh, was deeply troubling. Uh, in my mind, it probably took him back to being deployed in Afghanistan and knowing that he didn't want to be a part of that anymore and and was not somebody who wanted to sit there and revel in the assassinations of people, knowing that those people who are being killed are many, many times civilians and not even the militants who are supposedly being targeted. And so uh, he says, that's the point where I decided I was gonna reach out to Jeremy Scahill and provide the documents that, that he did. Those became part of the Drone Papers. It was a really good project. Uh, it came out um, seven or eight years ago at this point. Like
1: 2015, I think.
2: Yeah, yeah, six or seven years ago, but yeah. also um, at that time he had already, um, uh, I believe he had already been interviewed for this documentary, National Bird, and that looked at, drone whistleblowers i'm actually going to uh you know for anyone who wants further um listening or entertainment i'm going to interview the director of that film sonia kennebec and post it to the Shadowproof uh youtube so uh but in we'll any case it. well yeah so <laughs> um and she's been doing some fantastic work on um whistleblower documentaries and national security whistleblowers so uh so uh Fast forward to 2019, you know, there's no indict. So, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll excuse me. I'll backtrack. I'm a little discombobulated. So, in 2014, he is raided. His home is raided. He's actually raided um, around the same time that he has his last day at the job with Litos. But the Obama administration doesn't prosecute. And in fact, the defense was able to find a document that said that the superiors in the Justice Department were not willing to back charges against him. And uh, I don't know, I'm not sure why, uh, but uh, maybe it was because Barack Obama had these derogatory nicknames and was thinking about his legacy. I mean, we've called him President Killist, called him Drone Warrior in Chief, And maybe this was just the image he didn't really want to project. And he made that really awful joke about the Jonas Brothers and uh, sending a predator drone to kill them if they, you know, cross some line with his daughters. So uh, maybe he was thinking about his image. And that's why the Justice Department didn't go forward with the case. I don't know. And so come 2019, however, just like the Julian Assange case and almost about the same time that they go forward with the Espionage Act case against Julian Assange, they dust off this case and they go forward with the indictment against Daniel Hale in May, 2019. And that's under Donald Trump. And so now you've got, um, as we've talked about with Assange, you've got people at the Justice Department who do not see any problem with crossing boundaries to go after leakers and they do not care about the collateral damage that'll be done to journalism. Uh, In fact, I think they enjoy it. It's appreciated that they are going to disrupt reporters and go after their confidential sources and they want this to be a side effect of what they do. So Daniel Hale is um, allowed to not be in confinement. I think that's an important factor to mention that he was not in jail before because Reality Winner was kept in jail before her trial. So he's allowed to be out on bail. The pandemic hits, his trial is delayed and then he pleads guilty. And after he pleads guilty, um, his his therapist rats him out to the pretrial services or the court And says that he believes Daniel Hale would do harm to himself, so they need to put him in a detention center and keep him in jail until his sentencing date in July. And then on July, he was sentenced to 45 months in prison. It's much, much less than what the U.S. government wanted. They tried all kinds of character attacks, but ultimately Daniel Hale was able to give a very eloquent 17-minute statement before the judge He persuaded the judge. Uh, His name is Liam O'Grady in the Eastern District of Virginia. Again, a lot of this is all connected. This Eastern District of Virginia, it's the same district court that Julian Assange would be brought before if he was put on trial. The same jail that Daniel Hales held in is Alexander Detention Center, the same jail that Julian Assange would be held in before trial if he was brought to the United States, the same jail where Chelsea Manning, the source of the WikiLeaks documents, attempted suicide when she was subpoenaed to testify before the WikiLeaks grand jury and asked to uh, give information that could be used against Assange for this prosecution. So, uh, so he, he gives this speech he persuades the judge even more that he's a person of conscience. He upsets the US prosecutors even more. One of them is Gordon Cromberg. Gordon Cromberg is a notorious prosecutor whose fingerprints are all over the Assange case. His fingerprints are all over the Daniel Hale case. And he was in court on sentencing date and behind these character attacks and furious that the press was devouring coverage that called Daniel Hale a whistleblower because. That's not how they want us to view Daniel Hale. And, and, and Daniel Hale got a sentence of 45 months. He's likely to do only 18 months in prison. So that's, that's excellent for him. You know, 18 months too many, 45 months too many. Uh, but because of the fact that he's got uh, time served and he's going to get good behavior credit And he's enrolled in a a, a, a drug abuse program, which as CIA whistleblower John Kiriakou can tell you from his experience, you basically go into a room, they show you episodes of interventions. It's a show that's been on for like years and years and years. And this is their substance abuse education program. And after it's over, you get to take a year off your sentence and get out of prison earlier. So of course you want your lawyer or you want the Bureau of Prisons to enroll you in the RDAP program. And that's what Daniel Hale is gonna get to do. Um, I think he's in a medical facility in North Carolina. So it's not that much better than being in a standard facility, but there are people there that already are uh, aware that you have health conditions that you brought with you to prison. So after 18 months, he'll get out, he'll get to serve six more months. Uh, he'll have to serve six more months in home confinement um, before he'll be out on probation. So, um, you know, and again, like we're talking about things that get away from the core of what Daniel Hale did. And Daniel Hale is an important drone whistleblower because at the time, President Barack Obama, as he says in his letter to the judge, was lying to the American people about the standard that was being used in deciding who should be targeted and assassinated. He said it was an imminent threat standard. And Daniel Hale says that's not how it was in Afghanistan. If we could just say that you could threaten any US interest whatsoever, you could be put on the list and we could kill you. And so, it's not imminent threat to the united states it's It's a much looser standard and and also he pointed out there's a period of time where of like five months where ninety percent of the people killed were civilians, they weren't even alleged terrorists
1: I wonder on on that note, like you already touched on obviously why Obama didn't want to uh, didn't want to go forward with the the charges because it would you know. Fuck up his good name and probably his parties with Jay Z and Don Cheadle. Uh, Martha's
2: Vineyard. Martha's yeah, Vine-
1: exactly. Uh, that's our next segment, uh, but which will be boring. Um, but I wonder if you you know this has spanned three presidents now, and I think that is an interesting thing of like going back to how this can get away from the actual like meat of the subject of like we know why Obama shied away from it. Um, I have my own opinions about why Trump went into it more, which I think was just a general kind of like New York, tough guy, don't leak shit, or this was what will happen to you. And, uh, and then now we have it happening again with uh, Biden. And I just w- I wonder if you have any uh, any other thoughts on that of like. like why we can't like get the fuck over these people and like why like why why we can't I think this connects to Julian as well like why we won't let this go even if it's not especially like with what we were talking about with Julian why it's like not even in the public eye people aren't paying attention to what's going on with Julian at Beaumarch prison um
2: so like why why uh, C- well, on? so for Julian, it's because the CIA holds grudges, and they don't yep. want to let it go. And if you look at the case, and you know how the how CIA director Mike Pompeo came out and attacked WikiLeaks and Julian Assange in the first months of the Trump administration, it's very obvious. And that was just re- that was right after they published these vault seven materials that exposed some of the most sensitive right cyber warfare operations that are being conducted against the CIA. And also, you know, the way WikiLeaks put out this press release, I'm not saying it's wrong to do it this way, but it was was antagonistic. They say, you know, this is embarrassing. You lost control of all of these files. And what's your security like CIA? How come you can't protect these materials from being exposed and being seen in broad daylight? Um, So, so, so that's, That's why this continues. You know, it doesn't matter that the public doesn't care about Julian Assange. It doesn't really matter that politicians in the United States may not honestly care whether Julian Assange is put on trial or not, uh, because the CIA is going to be relentless and make sure that the Justice Department brings Julian Assange to trial and and that they can send a message to people not to cross the agency. Trump is very fascinating to me. Because of that fact that a lot of uh, people will reflect on the way in which he benefited from the Podesta emails, the Clinton campaign emails that were published during the yeah. campaign. I love
1: WikiLeaks, that thing. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> and and what it comes down to is like a lot of issues. It was all talk. It was yeah. all. It was all just. A lot of hot air, and that's what we got from Trump. And, and for people who don't accept this, I'll, I usually point to the issue of Syria too, because like, like he could have supported Assange, he could have supported Edward Snowden, but when it came down to it, he wasn't willing to. Su- he wasn't willing to cross the people who are powerful in the Republican Party, like Mitch McConnell. You know, I followed what was happening in the days and the couple of weeks before his last days in office. He was seriously considering a pardon of Edward Snowden and Julian Assange, NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden. And they said, you know, you've got this trial coming up in the Senate. And if you don't want us to vote against you for impeachment, you're gonna make sure that Julian Assange and Edward Snowden don't get pardons. And so he backs off because he's gonna protect his own skin. And uh, I get it. Um, I think any politician probably would do the same. But I think when you pull back and you look at the whole length of his presidency, you see that he never really cared about these people. He just would talk about them when it was advantageous and seemed like his supporters were joy-filled that WikiLeaks was on their side. and I, I think their side should be put in quotes because I'm not sure that WikiLeaks was ever on the side of Trump and their supporters. That's just how it got represented by the establishment media that believed they had some kind of common commonality with what Trump was, was after, which was uh, sinking Hillary Clinton's hopes of becoming president. Um, so like for Trump to me, these prosecutions go on, almost have to go on because he's under siege from the press that are spinning these yarns on a daily basis about the campaign and his ties to Russia. And there are people in his administration who are speaking to CNN and these other outlets about how he's concealing certain information and how he's covering up and. Revealing details that point to things that we could have long debates over whether they're scandalous or not. Just because you know, we we probably would go, well, Obama did that, uh, yeah. you know, uh, Bush did that. You know, this isn't like this is a standard bureaucratic way of doing government. Um, and so, you know, you kind of wonder, like, why are we so worked up? Well, it was the personality of Trump, and they wanted to pin this on him, and so I think in guarding himself, he was willing to tell the Justice Department that they had the green light. They could go after however many leakers they wanted to go after. And that's where we had actual, it's a real scandal. Like as much as I'm not necessarily in supportive of the establishment media, I can't get behind subpoenas for reporters. There were a lot of subpoenas that were sent out to journalists because they were doing uh, stories and they wanted to uncover the sources for those stories on the Trump administration. That was in May or June, there were a bunch of stories about this. And it ties into the, uh, the prosecution against Julian Assange. So I think what we need to see is that continuity. You know, I think we recognize the continuity between administrations, at least if If we're doing good commentary and analysis of the system of U.S. government, we recognize what never changes no matter who you elect. You could elect a Republican. You can elect a Democrat. They elected Trump. But I don't really believe that Hillary Clinton would have been any better for Julian Assange because I don't know if they would have dusted it off and gone forward the way that Trump did. But she joked about killing him with a drone strike. So what does that tell you? That doesn't suggest to me that Hillary Clinton wants to pull back on Espionage Act prosecutions. I think she would embrace them. She would allow them like Joe Biden's allowing these prosecutions of Assange and and Daniel Hale. And so I think that we need to see the continuity here and how it all builds and stacks upon each case. That's what's fascinating when you really understand what is happening You go all the way back to the early 2000s and post 9-11 and you see how they discover they can use the Espionage Act against Thomas Drake, an NSA whistleblower, who's revealing uh, issues related to the constitutionality of a program with a private contractor named ThinThread and how it's sweeping up all of this data. And there aren't any protections for people's privacy as that information is being collected and this is before edward snowden and so uh it's at the time that we know there's warrantless wiretapping at the nsa as revealed by mark klein of at and and so you go forward and they tried thomas drake then they're going after john kiriaku they're going after chelsea manning they're going after um, a, a leaker at the State Department named Stephen Kim. Then, then Edward Snowden comes forward. They're going after Edward Snowden. Um, they're, they, they continue with these you know, under Trump. They have Terry Albury. They go after Reality Winner. They indict Daniel Hale, as we've discussed. And if you look from case to case, they all build on one another. They, you know, I left out Jeffrey Sterling. Jeffrey Sterling's case started in the late 2000s and spanned from uh, the, you know, like the mid-2000s on into 2015 when he had a trial and then he was sentenced to prison for 42 months. They all stack on each other and they get harder and harder for whistleblowers to defend themselves. Each case is about taking one more element away from the accused so that they can't defend themselves and claim they're a whistleblower when they're prosecuted under the Espionage Act. And what we really need to address is that this law from 1917, the Espionage Act is being used to stamp out some of the most important dissenters in our nation's history who are challenging the warfare state, challenging national security and intelligence agencies who, who we need to hear from, but uh, the, 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 the risks and costs to their lives are so tremendous that it ends up being that they're crushed in ways that overshadow completely what they are trying to reveal. And so we don't end up talking about the information we end up talking about these cases and we end up talking about the government does to them. And you know, on one hand that informs people of the nature of our punishment system and how cruel it is. But on the other hand, that sends a message to people in these institutions of what will happen if they come forward. And that makes an example out of them. And it says to me that there are hundreds if not thousands of people who have something to reveal right now who are sitting there silently and not telling us about something we need to know And that's a very sad fact. But at this moment, I am certain that there are Snowdens and Chelsea Mannings and Daniel Hales and reality winners. And they're not gonna take any steps to tell us what we need to know because they don't wanna be crushed. And I don't blame them.
0: I think that was a really powerful way to probably conclude, but I I did, I feel like we have to ask since we, um, we kicked off our last interview with you, Um, asking about Rush Limbaugh's death. Um, we have to ask about the, the, the do you still feel sad? Yeah.
2: Oh, it's, (laughs) it's occupied my time. (laughs) Like so much. Uh, I've just been going through the archive of clips that I have on my, uh, old, uh, windows laptop that I keep. It's just, I have, I have a specific right-wing talk radio windows laptop.
1: I'm thumbing through my rosary as we uh, as we speak. Um, So, Kevin, I have to get your
0: opinion if you have one on um, Andrew Cuomo.
2: Oh, Andrew Cuomo. So this is actually a whistleblower story. Great. Because uh, the attorney general's investigation into his office revealed that he had a culture of fear and intimidation in his office and I, I found it to be a, a really important report. I think the attorney general did some tremendous work. This person, Letitia James, you know, you won't normally hear me come on and praise the work of government officials because I'm usually talking about how they target whistleblowers. But Leticia James, a black woman in New York, has done some fine work. She's also been supporting Amazon workers who are blowing the whistle against uh, their abuses in the workplace. But here, you know, she documents, uh, or the team that she had investigating thoroughly documents the way in which people were afraid to come forward and reveal anything corrupt about Andrew Cuomo, not just sexual harassment, and that if they did cross Andrew Cuomo, they would be singled out that this these people around Cuomo would go to work trying to uh, get you eliminated or purged and make sure that you basically couldn't work anywhere in any place important in New York again is the sense that I get that there would be serious repercussions for you crossing Andrew Cuomo and trying to expose any sort of scandals. So we wonder why we didn't get a whole lot of information from people in his circle about the nursing home deaths that are, are like uh, such such a horror, such a nightmare. And, uh, and I think more, more serious than the sexual harassment that uh, came forward, which is not to downplay its significance for the women who were mistreated and, and, and handled grossly by Andrew Cuomo. But uh, people dying is always gonna be worse than that. Um, and so, yeah, it's a whistleblower story. I mean, I think when you get right down to it, uh, and also the sexual harassment, this woman, Lindsay Boylan, she comes out and she says on Twitter that uh, she was sexually harassed. And the first thing they do is start talking about how they can discredit her in the press so that she cannot effectively undermine Andrew Cuomo's image. You know, he's this like pandemic king or something. And uh, we're supposed to revere him. And uh, they, they are talking about how they can get an op-ed printed. This, uh, you probably saw the people who have resigned and disgraced from these liberal groups who times up. Roberta Kaplan was involved in um, uh, helping Andrew Cuomo uh, draft an attack piece against this woman who's alleging sexual harassment, get out of here. And then uh, there was a person at the human rights campaign who got in trouble um, and he was consulted So you have people from these liberal groups who have been hashtag me too all over the place. And then this happens and they're protecting Andrew Cuomo. Um, And, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure like, I'm, I'm positive that you could go through and find dozens of tweets where they talked about the access Hollywood tape from Donald Trump and uh, you know, the, the, the grab them by the pussy and, and everything. And that like, they were always wanting people to know um, all about that. Um, and, and so, um, yeah, uh, I think I just lost my audio. So I can't hear you. Oh, can but, you hear us now? Uh, there's no seamless way for me to do this. Let me, uh, <laughs> my computer just switched the audio to my microphone. And there's no way that I can hear, because I don't have anything plugged into my microphone. So let me um, take these off and uh, let's do this. I would like that. Now I think I can hear you. Here's OK. Yeah, good? it's just you're going to have an echo, possibly. But now you're all good. Uh, we're almost done. Uh, I was I was pretty much done with my thought, but the the thing I was gonna say is that uh, it, this this whistleblower story is is one no I'm done <laughs> you can cut that out.
1: <laughs> well, I did wanna I just on on that point um, you know to wrap it up or like I, I I do think it's interesting with the Cuomo thing who is like the new stuff that came out from him was you know to anybody who's been paying attention is kind of old news but I'm glad it's coming to fruition but I think it's kind of worth pointing out that this really started with uh what's his name Ron Kim just having the bravery to stand up and go this guy's a fucking bully he does this to everybody and This is like, and he was just saying something that everybody in New York politics seemed to know, but no one was willing to say. And this kind of, I can't remember what he was. He was like an assemblyman or something, Uh, but it was just this one guy was willing to go, no, this guy always does this. Uh, And it really started this tidal wave. I, I wish the tidal wave would have started with, obviously the nursing home deaths, but you know, I'll take a win where I can. But I think it's a, I think it's important to note that um, that uh, one person speaking up did kind of start this. It seems to me.
2: Yeah, and 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 the other point that I meant to say before the little technical issue was: you see how uh, a, a workplace that doesn't do anything to manage sexual harassment or deal with people like Andrew Cuomo. It really is about power, you know. Yeah. Fundamentally, you know. Let's. It's salacious, you know. People like to print what sort of things he's doing uh, because it's gross, and, and and people will share it, and, and it'll. It's a, and it's clearly offensive. But those things happen because of the power that he's wielding, and the sexual harassment that goes on in the workplace goes hand in hand with the kind of workplace that has a chilling effect that says, don't speak out. If you do, we will come down on you hard and we will find a way to remove you so you do not have the, the same job or career that you had before you crossed uh, us, in this case, Andrew Cuomo. So yeah, I think it's a really important story because it shows how power is wielded and like you say the bullying um, that someone finally said no more I'm not going to take this and that was when everything all started to fall apart I mean he had problems with his book because people were finding out how he abused taxpayer resources to promote that book that he wanted to probably use as a launch pad. I mean, I think there was chatter about him pursuing a presidential campaign and he likely was ready to go at some point in the next four or five years because he had done so well at fashioning this leader image during the pandemic. But uh, now what people remember is what he said in his final speech to the camera when he didn't repent. He didn't take back anything he did. He called it cancel culture. And as much as I am someone who has departed from a lot of the mainstream progressive left and said that there's cancel culture on the left, there's cancel culture on the right, and uh, there's a a long discussion we could have about what is happening here, high-ranking officials who in a rare moment are met with accountability and forced to resign, that is not cancel culture. That is accountability. That's, that's what happens when you do something that you can't publicly defend. And so if you don't want that to happen, if you, if you don't wanna, in the words of Andrew, get canceled, then don't, don't grope women, you know? Like don't grab, he was grabbing a state trooper. Don't, don't do stuff that upset. Um, And also like be smart because you can get away with nursing home deaths during a a deadly pandemic unlike anything this country has seen in the last 100 years. And you're going around grabbing people in positions that are gonna then not like you anymore and turn on you. Like he lost the state troopers because he sexually harassed a New York state trooper. I don't think you probably, if you're the governor of New York, them to be against you they do your security they also are going to start speaking to the press about how they don't like what you do at your events they see everything you do they're there providing your security anyways um yeah i just i I, yeah so in the end we are left with this image and you know i put the icing on the cake it just confirms everything we you know we we said he's the liberal Trump, but people would just be like, ah, that's ridiculous. Like, you're just just talking because, you know, you wanna sound like you have some kind of edge as a person who does media on the progressive left. It's like, no, like you literally, he is liberal Donald Trump. Like this is him and he embraces some diversity, but the way he acts is almost identical to the way Donald Trump acted as president, or so it seems. Andrew Cuomo doesn't get on Twitter and go nuts, but that's about the only difference you can come up with is that he knows how to make statements that are flashy and engaging, and, and, and but, although not anymore. I mean, this last one was incredibly embarrassing. And to me, I'll shut up after this, M- Michael Bloomberg fell. And, and 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 hit with a thud during the Democratic primary and left and was dogged by sexual harassment. And there were things that came from him being the person who was involved in stop and frisk and policing. And he was bounced from that race. And that was the guy that they wanted. And then they had to settle for Joe Biden. So I'm so glad that Michael Bloomberg has fallen and then now we have Andrew Cuomo who's fallen. And, and, and these guys you get to act like liberal saviors of the United States. It's, it's really nice to see them tumbling. It
1: feels good. Uh, uh,
0: Tara Reid could still come back to hurt Biden as well. Just throwing that out there. Um, Kevin, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we may hit you up at the end of October if you would be interested in coming back for uh, a third update about Assange.
2: Yeah, uh, talk to me then. I uh, okay. should be around and I'll be doing plenty of media, I'm certain. Uh, but uh, if not at the end of October, the first week of November, for sure.
0: Thank you. Yeah, we definitely appreciate that. Thank and you so much, Kevin. Yeah, thank you again and um, hope to talk to you soon.
2: Yeah, talk to you later. Bye.
0: Uh, that was a great conversation with Kevin Gotzola. Uh, again, really thoughtful guy. I uh, love that he agreed to come back for another update.
1: Stay tuned for part three. And please keep listening. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, follow us on Instagram at VFAS Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Dan.
0: Phil, Phil AG was here.
1: Like, subscribe, shit post, hate mail. Send Dan emails. Yeah, send me emails. Yes, and we will be uh, back with you uh, with more adventures next week.